Before we get started with this episode of American Rabbi Project, a few quick things. First of all, if you like what you're hearing, please consider donating to this podcast. You can do so by going to my website, rabbiproject.com, and clicking on the Donate tab. Also, I am officially on the speaking circuit, so to say. If you're interested in having me speak to your group of any size, please shoot me an email, justin at rabbiproject.com. Once again, justin at rabbiproject.com. And of course, I can do virtual presentations. Finally, everyone interviewed for this podcast speaks solely for themselves. Welcome to American Rabbi Project, the podcast about American Judaism from the perspective of rabbis across the country. I'm Justin Regan. There were certain moments on the road trip when the magnitude of how much I was traveling really hit me. Like when I crossed the Continental Divide in Colorado and realized, geologically speaking, I was now on the other side of the continent. Like when I was in Montana, being that far north in a flat land with big sky, it, it made it feel like I was on the ceiling of the country. Or when I would reach bodies of water that had always been so prominent on the maps I'd seen growing up. This feeling of awe popped up from time to time on the trip, but it was with me almost the whole time I was in New England. It's where I have relatives on both sides of my family, and I've been there a lot over the years. That made it quite something to drive to the places I had flown to in my youth. This experience of constant nostalgia and reunion with family more than made up for how truly frustrating it is to drive in New England. The confusing roads, the hectic roundabouts, the weirdly angled turns, and the hell of navigating streets whose names change every 10 feet. I guess I could have tried to tie that into how driving in New England is a lot like life, but I get too worked up to even think about it. Let's just say I hated the roads, but it was nice to be back. Episode 7, New Hampshire, live free or die a new. I'm sure I'm not the first person to use that phrase, but I like it. The story of the Jews of Nashua, New Hampshire, is similar to that of most non-Boston New England towns. The first major wave came in the 1880s, and these days Jews have spread out from the old neighborhoods, and the community's numbers are bolstered by a lot of Boston and New York expats. Being a medium-sized city, Nashua can be an epicenter for Jewish life many miles around, and one of the places in that epicenter is the conservative temple Beth Abraham and its rabbi, John Spira Savet. Hello, my name is John Spira Savet. I am the rabbi serving Temple Beth Abraham, which is a Jewish community centered on Nashua, New Hampshire. I've lived here and, and worked for the synagogue for 10 years. Spira Savet likes being a rabbi for what he says is the jack-of-all-trades aspect, which can include teaching, counseling, and civic engagement. He even dabbles in internet education, having written several articles for Jewish publications and recorded videos on the topic. Being in New Hampshire as the, as the only rabbi within a certain radius and the only Jewish institution, um, I function as kind of a one-man JCRC and represent the community and to some degree even um, Israel out in the wider community. And it's also a chance to really collaborate with other religious communities in a special way, usually on social action or social justice projects. In another world, Spira Savet could have been living in a much more Jewish place, like Israel. It's where he spent a year of college and went to rabbinical school. At one point, he even considered himself Israeli and not American, 
But that perception changed when he returned to the U.S. You know, I just realized both how much I loved America and how American I was, how natural I felt here relatively. And I think the way in which we can be Jewish here is really suffused with a lot of the best of America in terms of of democratic values and being able to see ourselves stretched by our interaction with all kinds of different um, cultures and faiths. For Spirasavet, this stretching includes ethical wrestling. Like many other rabbis, he thinks Jews have an obligation to give back to the United States, and one way is to be critical of its problems from a place of patriotism. We're definitely of this place, and I see myself, as I say, as very American. But in a lot of people who care about this place enough to say when it's when it's extreme, when when something has gone off the rails, um, which is sometimes like we talk about bigotry now in society, but sometimes it's also the rampant consumerism and individualism. So I think that actually America has drawn a lot out of Judaism in a special way that I certainly wouldn't trade, even though there are things that Israeli Judaism has developed that, that you couldn't do here, too. Over the course of his career, Spirisavet has found unique ways to wrestle with and address these societal issues. He is a founding member of the Jewish teen philanthropy movement. I have for a long time thought about, again, a kind of a core Jewish teaching that, that the highest form of giving is to enter into some kind of partnership relationship, relationship of mutual respect and dignity with someone who has less economic means. So much of our of our charity is is when we give someone something that we have a lot of and they don't have any of, or going to the soup kitchen and meeting people and teaching people to meet people who are poor only in their their most vulnerable place where there's so much disparity. How do we tap into and start to teach um, to teach kids and teens that mutual responsibility doesn't mean pity, but really means valuing people totally and not seeing what's missing with them. Over the last 20 years, Spirisavet has worked around the country to set up Jewish teen philanthropy organizations. They raise money through several means, including the tried-and-true bar-slash-bat-mitzvah-present method, and then go through the process of figuring out how to spend it, just like the board of a foundation would. They research possible options and tie it into Jewish values and Jewish teachings on giving charity, or sadaka. As Spirit Savet says, it's about giving with dignity as opposed to lording it over somebody. Some teen groups distribute as much as tens of thousands of dollars through this method. These are the kinds of things that, that teenagers just love to talk about. Their minds are really just starting to think about these things and their capacity to to imagine to experience and to want to explore answers it's uh, it's great and when you go beyond just the debates to something you can actually do and you then have to face the issues of the power of my money or the power of my privilege or the inequalities within a group we're not all right not all Jews are are rich or well off um, it's very it's very exciting This concept of civic engagement and social justice is even further relevant for Spirisavet, who finds himself a rabbi and ambassador for the Jewish people in New Hampshire, the first state to hold presidential primaries. Back in 2016, he was part of what he calls an ambitious project with other faith leaders to bring a more grounded and spiritual event to the hectic primaries, a clergy-led forum. And we invited all of the candidates who were pretty serious in both in both the Democratic group and the Republican group. I don't think we invited candidate Trump, but but almost everybody else. 
And um, we shopped this around, we used our connections, and, and nobody took us up on it. The frustrating thing was that candidates didn't want to open themselves, or maybe it was their staffs, I don't know, who didn't want to open themselves up for those kinds of thoughts. While the forum fell through, Spirosavet did get a chance to ask then-Democratic candidate Hillary Clinton a question at a CNN town hall. The question was steeped in Jewish philosophy, specifically Rabbi Simcha Bunim, who taught that every person should carry two scrolls, one saying, the universe was made for me, and the other that reads, I am but dust. He asked Clinton how she planned to balance ego and humility as president. Clinton responded by opening up about her own faith and the part it plays in her life. What happened after that was that Secretary Clinton asked if she could have a word with me after that event, and uh, she thanked me for the question and said how much that she wished she could answer questions like that more. And I think a really insightful thing which she said to me at the time was that when a candidate will open up, let's say, about their faith or their vulnerabilities at their own events, they'll generally get written up or she feared that they would get written up as that's a it's another tactic it's a self-serving thing it looks like something set up um, which I understand and you know so I just said back to her you know there are there are going to be people in our state and then in the next states who are going to want to invite you to those things where where you can avoid that because it'll be something that that came from the voters and please accept those and do your best to to get in front of those kinds of questions as well. Spiros Avet hopes his group of faith leaders will find more success in 2020 and host their own forum. But for now, he's putting a lot of focus on what he calls knitting people back together after the divisiveness of the 2016 election. Starting from before and then really accelerating after the presidential election, I would convene at coffee shops. I would I would say I'm going to be here. And if you want to talk about um, politics, here's how we're going to do it. You're going to I'm going to ask people just to share their stories. What were their parents and grandparents political involvements? What things in your history led you to to vote the way that you do or identify with a party the way that you do. Spiros Avet tries to bring this mentality into his job of talking to fellow Jews and non-Jews about Israel and Israeli policy. As previously mentioned, he chose to be a diaspora Jew, one who lives outside of Israel. But like many others in his position, there is still a deep connection to the country. He says Zionism and Israel at its best gives Jews an opportunity to serve the world. But it can be difficult to find the balance between the Jewish homeland of the texts and the situation on the ground. I think all Jewish ideologies have been affected by the Torah that's generated in Israel. And I think if you're Orthodox, then it's very hard. You, you're you kind of tied to, to right now to the settler movement and their ideas um, in ways that are that are not good. And it's very hard if you're an Orthodox person who who values uh, justice for the the Palestinians too. It's very hard to live in that reality. Um, it can be not so easy in my reality too, where you know where you have to again teach people that it's not a euphoria against Israel, but you know what are the what are the things that are that make Israel a Jewish state living up to its Jewishness and Jewish responsibilities and. And what do we contribute to that? There's a commonly held belief among Jews in the diaspora that if anything ever goes wrong, Israel will be there as a safe haven for all Jews. There's another belief, which has been discussed at length in this podcast, that America is different and Jews can finally unpack their bags, so to speak. 
Spirosavet says these two narratives are not in contention. Instead, they're linked. I think the position of of Jews in this country would be different if they were not in Israel. And I think that um, though people will talk about how American Jews help make sure that America helps keep Israel safe, I think that the power that comes with Israeli Jewishness um, helps helps give us a footing here. If something, God forbid, happened to Israel, I think it would be it would be devastating and change our position here, even if nobody became more more anti-Semitic. And he does think there's anti-Semitism in the U.S. Spirosavet has lived in places like Minnesota, Atlanta, and Boston, but he says none of those places compare to what he calls the know-nothing anti-Semitism of New Hampshire. You get some of the stuff around uh, Christ killer things. You get the the graffiti things around swastikas. This um, this terrible thing of of dropping you know, coins on the ground next to a Jewish kid to see that they'll pick it up. And then at another level, you get a complete insensitivity in a lot of the school systems in towns for uh, for why Jewish kids do, do things around our holidays, which means that we can't do certain other kinds of things. And so I think that's not active anti-Semitism, but it's a willful not taking responsibility for thinking about other people. For me, it was a big surprise to see that that still happens in the the quote-unquote liberal Northeast. As mentioned in the last episode, while Jews come in all races from all over the world, many in the United States identify as white. And this brings on the question, do you consider yourself a minority? For Spira Savet, the answer is yes. We're certainly not a minority in the way that African Americans are a minority. It's a different experience. I think, as I say, it enables me to to have pride about many things about America and to be a good, loyal critic about those other things. And I think I love that that position. And he does love being in New Hampshire. I think maybe one of the reasons I'm here and not in a big city is that I, I am not probably the conventional kind of conservative rabbi or conservative observant person. I have my idiosyncrasies and being out in the hinterlands maybe enables me to say, look, I I may look to you like the guy who wears a yarmulke all the time as I do out in public, but I'm also making choices. And I'm also, me and my family, we are struggling with if the only way to be in a performance or a drama group is to, um, is to do it on a Shabbat evening from time to time, you know, will we Will we give something of our Shabbat? Is there a way we can accommodate that within our framework? The five of us don't all see things the same way. We make our choices, and they may look very religious, but we're we're asking the same questions that everybody else is who's Jewish around here. And that I really loved. I really love that. But it's not just on a personal level that Spirosavet struggles with accommodating tradition and modernity. It's happening on an institutional level as well. He and others in the conservative movement are starting to consider the possibility of officiating interfaith weddings, something that Spirosavet used to think he would never do. So people have been talking about, like, if we were to, without committing ourselves to doing it, if we were to design, let's say, a marriage ceremony, um, what would have to be in it? And so that it wouldn't be just a smorgasbord or a or a build a bear, you know, you decide to do it and we'll just do it. And then to look at that and say, does that does that have integrity? So I think that's the I think that's the next step. What I do now is that couples I can't marry, I work really hard to find them a great rabbi who would do it. And I and I do ask myself, if I go that distance, why can't I be the great rabbi who who does it? 
Similar to Rabbi Jan Salzman in The Next State Over and in the previous episode, Spiros Savet thinks about examining the role of the Gerto Shav, the welcomed stranger, the non-Jewish member of the community. They both say it can be a way for the non-Jewish spouse to play a role in raising a Jewish family. And similar to Rabbi Solomon Gruenwald in Colorado, Spiros Savet still supports matrilineal descent, but wants to make it easy for a child with only a Jewish dad to convert or affirm their Judaism. But he does think changes are coming, mostly to non-Orthodox denominations like his. I think that's Part of my feeling is that also if I were an, an Orthodox Jew and an ultra-Orthodox Jew, certainly I would look at this and say, well, these these other folks, these conservative Jews, et cetera, they're going to disappear anyway within a you know, a few decades, and we're the ones who are going to be here. And I, you know, I think that may, you know, it could happen that way. So I think all we can do is to try to say there's an integrity to, to the approach that we're taking here. All I can do is to challenge the people who will pay attention to me to to figure out what that integrity is. And history will take care of itself. Um, if we were just meant to be here for a phase, and if it's whether it's a few centuries or who knows if it's only a few decades more, let's make sure we do good things for the world while we're here. And uh, and whatever happens next to the Jews in the next generations, people will will decide what that is and figure that out. Something that sticks out to me about Rabbi John Spiros Savet is the question he asked Secretary Hillary Clinton, how do you balance ego and humility? And those dynamics played out on my trip. When people told me they wished they could travel like me, well, it, it gave me the confidence to stretch the route. But there were also times where I feel like I didn't get to experience as much as I could have because I bit off more than I could chew and had to rest from burnout. Secretary Clinton responded to the question by talking about the importance of gratitude. And that works for me too. I tried to practice gratitude at every step. Gratitude that I had the opportunity to travel. Gratitude that there were so many people who opened their homes to me and the gratitude that I was able to drive all around the weird roads of New England without getting lost. Too much. American Rabbi Project, Episode 7, New Hampshire, Live Free or Die Anu, was written and produced by me, Justin Regan. Derek Pova handles the web stuff. Additional thanks to Jeremy Crone, Sarit Rathbone, Beth Vanderstoop, Dylan Abrams, and my parents for the assistance. And also thanks to my cousins, the Flory family, for hosting me in New Hampshire. You can watch the interaction between Rabbi Spiros Yvette and then-candidate Clinton by going to the episode's page on my website, rabbiproject.com. While there, you can also find all the other episodes and a Jewish term index. Feel free to email me, justin at rabbiproject.com. Once again, that is justin at rabbiproject.com. My Twitter handle is at rabbiproject, and you can also find me at facebook.com slash rabbiproject. And until next time, shalom and safe driving.